0: I'm very excited this morning of uh, who's going to come and speak and bring the Word of God to us this morning. And uh, I've been waiting a long time to be able to hear uh, Greg Mundus come and speak to us. We... I think we booked him a few years ago, quite a few years ago, to be able to come up here. Let me tell you uh, the facts on Greg, and then I want to tell you a little bit more about how it's the, some of the personal connection uh, that's there as well as I introduce him to you this morning. I know, I know him. I've heard of him. Uh, I know you don't. So let me just give you a little bit of an introduction. Greg uh, right now serves as the director of Assemblies of God World Missions. Uh, which provides leadership to 2,778 Assemblies of God missionaries and associates serving around the world in 255 countries. He's busy, Um, but uh, this is the work that God has called him to. Uh, Greg accepted Christ at 13 years old while attending a military chapel service in Gordon, Georgia and he was called at a Sunday evening church service, praying at the altar when he sensed God called to ministry. And there was a message in tongues, an interpretation that confirmed God's plan for his life. Uh, He and his wife served as missionaries over in Europe, in Austria specifically uh, for a number of years in the 80s and then became the director of Central Europe and then Europe, uh, the Europe region for 13 years. Served as the executive director as that. He's been in his current role since 2011. Uh, serving in Springfield, Missouri, uh, and around the world, really, as the U.S. Assemblies of God World Missions Director. So those are the facts on Greg, but let me give you a little more personal connection of why uh, I wanted you to hear him this morning, too. I first heard of Greg when I was at Evangel University as a student, and I didn't really hear of him. I really knew of his daughter. Uh, His daughter, Holly, and I went to school together, graduated the same year, and she, Holly's uh, roommate, was dating my roommate. And I knew, uh, I knew Rebecca, the, her roommate, well, but I didn't know Holly because Holly never left her room. Holly, I know I, was probably the smartest person I ever met at Evangel. Uh, she was an incredible student, uh, but I met her, got to know her, and uh, how the Lord works is amazing because later on, Holly married a guy named Jason, And uh, they served in a church here on the North Shore of Massachusetts for a while while Jason was at Harvard. And now they serve as missionaries in uh, Israel and Palestine. And we support them as missionaries there and have been supporting them. And it's amazing how the Lord works and plants His church on relationships. 2012, I got the chance to be out there with Jason for a little bit see the work that they're doing in Haifa and in the area. It's amazing the way the ward is using them. Uh, he took me out for what is still the best shawarma I've ever had in my life. Um, and uh, and they're, they're just great friends. They're doing a great work of ministry there. We're glad to be able to supporting them and partnering with them. And so there was that connection, but I just learned about another connection that I didn't know about. Uh, 1977, mid 70s, Harvey Meppelink and Gene was traveling around this country and telling them, We want to plant a church in Lexington, Massachusetts. And uh, they were traveling around and uh, they wanted to plant a church in Lexington, Massachusetts. And for those of you that don't know, this church was originally in Lexington when it was planted in 1978. One of the places Harvey Meppelink went was Springfield, Missouri to a church called Central Church where a man named Greg Mundus was serving as youth pastor there. And he said... I want to get on board with what you're doing, Harvey and Gene, up in the Boston area in Lexington, and I'm going to support you at $15 a month for that church. So the seeds of this church back then, Greg was supporting it, even though he didn't know that. Now he's coming back to preach to us as the World Missions Director of the Assemblies of God, and it's just amazing that he comes not only to speak to us from where he was, but comes as someone who has planted the seed for this church, for the people here today. And you know what, that's how the gospel works. It's like 12 guys. Jesus said, you're gonna go and change the world. And how does that happen? Because you plant seeds and they grow and there was no church in Lexington, and there wasn't this Assemblies of God Church in Burlington, and now you're here. He's already preached in Belmont this morning where there's another congregation there, and it's amazing to see the way the Lord works. So would you welcome, give a hearty welcome to Greg Mundus as he comes and speaks to us today.
1: Good morning. It's such a joy to be with you. Forgive my voice, I've been fighting something, whatever it is, you know. And uh, they, um, my my friends tell me I have a good radio voice now. (laughs) My other friends tell me I have a good radio face, so, uh, (laughs) you know, friends, you know, friends. Uh, (laughs) Pastor, thank you for opening your pulpit and for the invitation. It's a joy to be here, and... uh, it is interesting, the connections in the, in, in the kingdom of God. And uh, would have never known in 1977 that, uh, let me see, what's that, 30 years ago? Oh, don't tell me that. <laughs> <laughs> At least I don't exaggerate. Uh, 40 years ago, who would have known, you know, uh, that the little, the little money that we could scrape together as, as youth pastors and then as missionaries to, to support brother harvey because we've always had a burden for the uh, northeast part of the united states and uh, in fact uh, a little glimpse into a window into our life uh, when we were we were feeling a stirring in our spirit and we had we weren't sure what god was wanting to do and one of the options for us was to come to the northeast and plant a church but then god very clearly spoke to us about going to austria in europe and sharing the gospel there but uh, if that hadn't happened, we would have, we would have been here and uh, maybe started a church, too. But anyhow, how grateful we are, and how exciting to see you. Uh, I can't help but think that when, uh, when the believers were persecuted in the early New Testament church, and they, went, uh, and they were scattered, some of them went to Antioch, and uh, they're in Antioch. Uh, God began doing some incredible things, and e- even outside of the Jewish religion and, and, and people that you would think that would uh, uh, be expecting the Messiah and looking for the Messiah, uh, Gentiles, Greeks started getting saved, and so the apostles sent Barnabas there, and Barnabas went up there, and he, the, the scripture is so clear, it's it's so poignant. And yet it's, it's hard to comprehend a little bit. He says, he, the scripture says he saw the grace of God. Well, how can you see grace? You know, how can you? It's you. It's people. We are the grace of God. And so I feel like Barnabas coming back here and, and I get to see the grace of God in Burlington and in Belmont where I was. And it is so exciting to me. And I rejoice with you. I rejoice at what you're doing here in the city, in the county, in the state, in this area of the world. But also that you're taking time to, to look around the world as well and say, hey, we, wanna, we want this Jesus that has changed our lives, that has given us hope. The resurrection that has given us power and new life. We want that Jesus to be known everywhere. So it's awesome to be with you today. And uh, we rejoice in the Lord. I want to thank uh, Gus who picked me up last night. I don't know where Gus is, if he's here. Oh, there you are, Gus. Thank you, buddy. Yeah, G- Gus found me. I was lost, but then I was found. <laughs> and uh, picked me up, and then Chu, here, my brother here, took us out to a nice Italian meal last night. Thank you so much. And then Sam has been transporting me around today. It's been awesome. I got to know some, uh, some of your congregation, and it's, it's thrilling. Just a real quick uh, a note before I get into. If you have your Bibles or your electronic books or your telephone, whatever you have, uh, you can turn to Second Corinthians chapter ten, verses fifteen and sixteen. While you're turning there, Second Corinthians ten fifteen and sixteen. Uh, just to kind of give you a glimpse into what Pastor was talking about about twenty eight hundred or twenty seven hundred seventy eight missionaries in in 255 countries and territories of the world and and ministries that we have in those places. What it means is that every 37 seconds, think of this, every 37 seconds in the network of the Assemblies of God around the world, somebody comes to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Yeah. You know what the angels do in heaven? That's right. They rejoice. Every thir- And that's only the Assemblies of God, one, pause, one small part of the kingdom of God. And then think about this. Every 95 minutes, a new church is started in the Assemblies of God network around the world. So every 37 seconds, somebody comes to know Jesus, and every 95 minutes, a new church is started. Now, I don't know when you started church here. When did we? 10 o'clock? Did you start? Ele- you started at 11. Okay, so if I preach long enough... A new church will be started somewhere in the world. (laughs) But just think about it. What You look at the second hand on your watch every once in a while, and remember, every 37 seconds, somebody comes to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So the audacious, incredible, prophetic word in 1914, when the Assemblies of God started, that God would raise up the greatest tool of evangelism the world has ever seen, that was a prophetic look forward from those brothers and sisters in Christ in Hot Springs, Arkansas, only 300 of them made that audacious goal. Today, in 2017, there are 68.5 million Assemblies of God people around the world. That's just about 1% of the entire population of the world in a little over 100 years. There are over 367,000 churches in this network. 13,000 in the United States and the rest of them outside of the United States. I mean, just to give you a comparison, probably the most most successful restaurant business in the world is McDonald's. They have less than 40,000 McDonald's in the world. So 367,000 churches means, wow, God is doing something absolutely, could be 368 now, I mean, you know, who knows. Uh, but we thank God for what he's doing. And what I really thank God about is that our partners around the world, we send out just about 2,800 missionaries. Our partners, in the, like these countries, uh, the flags that are represented here, in 94 of those countries around the world, they send out missionaries as well. So we partner with those missionaries, and they send out over 4,800 missionaries. So with our 2,800 and their 4,800 You've got a lot of missionaries out in the world. Isn't that awesome? I give God the glory for that. And I thank him that we have the privilege of working in 345 unreached people groups around the world. People that have never had the opportunity to hear. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. But if you've turned in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians, it says, Our hope is that as your faith continues to grow, our sphere of activity among you will greatly expand so that we can preach the gospel To the regions beyond you. And that's really how we came up with the title and the theme, Beyond Borders. Now, mention the Apostle Paul. Before Paul became Paul, as you know, many of you know, that he was Saul. He was a Pharisee. He was a persecutor. He was like the number one jihadist of his day and persecuted the church of Jesus Christ. He persecuted him in Jerusalem. He got letters from the high priest so he could go to Damascus and persecute them there. On the way to Damascus, a light shone and a voice came and it said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul responded and he says, who are you? And, the, and out of the light, the voice came, I am Jesus who you are persecuting. And on that Damascus road, Paul had an incredible experience, a conversion experience. Uh, he also became blind, and he was led into the city by his colleagues. He was there for three days, fasted, prayed, was trying to figure out what was going on in his life. Another disciple by the name of Ananias came, prayed for him. His blindness was gone. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then God spoke to him very clearly in in that Damascus home. So we have a Damascus road experience, and we have a Damascus home experience. And my prayer is that if you need a Damascus road experience today, that you have that experience, but I, my prayer also is if you need a Damascus home experience that you have one of those, that there is either a healing or there's a calling of God that you can recognize in your heart and in your spirit because on that, on that day in that home, Paul, Saul at the time, was called to be an apostle and to, and to carry the gospel and to preach the gospel to the nations of the world. That call was dramatic, it was directive, it was deliberate. It was a fantastic call that came to his life. But a call that, was, that, was, that had elements of favor and suffering. And when we are called by God, we have a life that has a life of favor. But, I hate to, I hate to tell you this, sometimes there's suffering. And Paul experienced that in his life. And as, if you know his, uh, his, his journey, that call can, the call of God on all of our lives can, can contain these kinds of things in, in our lives. It's just not a bed of roses. When you, you know, if, if somebody's promising you that when you become a Christian and you follow the call of God, that everything's going to be rosy. No, 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 no. I mean, you read the New Testament, and you look at the... You, you highlight the word suffering. You highlight the word persecution. And you will see that our early disciples, our forefathers, many of them paid the price for being a follower of Jesus Christ. Many of them had to suffer. But there was always that favor of God on their life as well. I think it's so important to understand that. That as Paul found his calling... As Paul was in the desert, as Paul met the, uh, the people in Jerusalem, the pillars of the church, that Paul identified that calling in his life to the Gentiles. And, and something happened in his heart. Something clicked in his heart. And Christ's last command became his first priority. Christ's last command, go into all the world, preach the gospel, to every creature, to every nation, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That became his first priority. Because when you look at Paul, that man was driven by something. He was driven by the fact that he was lost and then he was found. He was on the wrong road and he got on the right road. He was in the wrong home and got in the right home. And he didn't want to keep that to himself because he heard that word of Jesus That my command is to go and preach the gospel to every creature. And that last command means that we need to go beyond borders. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about borders, I'm thinking about, you know, I'm going to get on a plane later today and go to Germany and then on to uh, Romania. When I hit the border in Germany, what's the first thing they want? They want a passport, you know. (laughs) Uh, Or in Romania, they want a passport. So... When we think of borders, a lot of times we just think of geographical or man-made borders or entities and realities, and these these are things. But let me let me help let me expand our understanding of border a little bit this morning. Okay, you know what a border can be? A fence between you and your neighbor. A border can be a social strata of one person or an economic strata of another person. There are all kinds of borders. Uh, we're called to, be, to go beyond borders of our own prejudice and our own pre- preconceived notions. Let me give a, let me let me let me give you a personal illustration. Several years ago, I was in Zurich, Switzerland, and I was traveling back to the United States after ministry in in uh, Europe. And I got on the plane, and I was in row I was in row twenty, and I was on the aisle, and there was an empty seat next to me, and. I was just kind of looking, there was the aisle right there, you know, people were walking down the aisle, I was kind of looking who was walking down the aisle and, you know, kind of da- daisy, the little just a little bit out of it, but wondering who was going to sit next to me. And so I just kind of looked at everybody as they were walking down, now I was not profiling. <laughs> just want to get that on the tape or on the recording here. But I was wondering who was gonna sit next to me. I don't know if you've ever been on a bus or an airplane and you say, you know, I got an empty seat, wonder who's gonna sit there. And so this, uh, this uh, large group came on and there were a bunch of Americans and they were talking and they were loud and they were happy and they were joyous because they'd just been in Austria. They had been in Salzburg and had gone on the Sound of Music tour, okay? Well, my wife and I lived five years in Salzburg, Austria. I've had the sound of music up to here. So I'm thinking if somebody sits next to me from that group, nine or ten hours of the sound of music in my head, I can't take this. But they walk by, and I just kind of looked up and said, thank you, Jesus, thank you. So some other people came down the aisle, and then, uh, and then uh, you know I didn't pick anybody out. And then this really big guy got, I mean, really big. Now, please understand my perspective of big. I'm six foot three and a half and weigh an eighth of a ton, okay? I am a big guy, okay? I This guy dwarfed me, right? He, when he was walking down, he had to walk sideways. He was so broad. I thought, dear Lord, if he sits in that, that window seat, I'm gonna be in the aisle like this, you know? You've you been there. That's what, you've been there. And so... Uh, he, he walks by me, and I just go, oh, thank you, Jesus, thank you. You know, favor and suffering, that was favor. And uh, so the seat is still empty beside me, and uh, nobody's, nobody's coming on the airplane. And I'm thinking, wow, empty seat, stretch out, this is going to be awesome. This young lady gets on the airplane, right? She's in black leather boots, black leather pants, black leather jacket chains hair the color of the rainbow rings all around both of her ears up and down the nose around the lips on her fingers she probably had a lot of rings I didn't know about she had earbuds in her ear and 20 rows back I could hear the music I go oh no she walks down the aisle taps me on the shoulder and in German I speak German because I lived in Austria taps me on the shoulder, and says, hey, that's my seat, and I just looked up at her and said, yeah, I know, you know, (laughs) (laughs) suffering, I had favor, then I had suffering, so, okay, I know you guys are too spiritual, but I had an attitude, okay, I had an attitude, and the attitude was wrong, okay, but I had an attitude, and so I'm sitting there, and I'm getting convicted, right, and so I said, I got to do something about this, so I said, hey, um, my name's Greg, and she said her name, and I said, well, where are you going? And she goes, i going to Chicago and then on to Kansas City. Well, that aroused my curiosity, because somebody from Zurich, not that I have anything against Kansas City, OK. Um, uh, but I said, why would you want to go to Kansas City? And she says, well, I, I, uh, I'm going to the IHOP. <laughs> so I'm processing this, right? So I'm thinking International House of Pancakes. So I'm trying to keep this conversation going. So I said, okay, uh, you like breakfast? She goes, no. I said, you like pancakes? She goes, what are you talking about? I said, what are you talking about? So we have this back and forth a little bit. And, then, uh, and uh, then she says, stop, listen, three months ago, I was out on the streets of Zurich. I had graduated high school. I was supposed to go to university. I didn't want to go. I think, what's the use of going to university? The whole world's going to hell. What do I care? Why should I go and waste my time? So she started doing drugs and stuff and all kinds of this. And uh, she says, I was out there and this people my age came along and they were happy and they gave me this little piece of paper and it talked about this guy named Jesus and uh, that he lived 2,000 years ago, that he was born of a uh, a virgin, that he lived a sinless life, never sinned, that he was crucified not for his sins but for the sins of the world for my sins and that he was buried then he rose again from the dead and now he's in heaven and he's in. and they were so happy and we had coffee and you know I thought man these people have some hope these people have some faith I'm going to try this thing so I did and I asked Jesus to come in my heart and give me new life. And he came into my heart and gave me new life. And I thought, I got to do something with my life. I got to do something meaningful with my life. So I got online and I found out that I could go to Kansas City. I could get a three month visa for the United States. And I'm going to the IHOP, the International House of Prayer. So I go, what? <laughs> she goes, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to find out the calling that God has for me and what he wants me to do with my life. And then there's this long pause because I didn't know what to say. And she points her finger at me and says, Sir, you need to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I said, I'm a missionary. She goes, are you serious? I said, yeah. She says, "Um, you're the first missionary I've ever met. And so I learned a big lesson that day. It's a lesson that my mom taught me as a kid. You know, can't judge a book by its cover. Prejudice. Now, I don't think there was anything mean in me. But sometimes we erect borders in our head. Self-imposed borders. I mean... Here, this girl was a Republican and I'm a Democrat. So what? So what about political things? What's the most important thing in the world? That people know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. If I'm a Republican and she's a Democrat, who cares? What we care about is that Jesus becomes Lord. Of people's lives favor and blessing favor and suffering blessing and favor whatever God's life in us that his last command becomes our first priority above everything else above everything else now in this passage Paul says I want my activity among you to expand so that we can engage. I think it's so important to think in terms of growing as the church. It's so good that you're here. It's so good that you hear the word of God. It's so good that you grow. But why do you grow? Why do you mature? Why is there health? Is it just so you can grow and mature and have health? No. You grow, mature, and have health so that you can engage and you can expand. You can go beyond borders. You become believers. And and you get solid in Christ. And even from the very beginning, we do that so that we can see the work of God continue. So Paul talks about this. He says he wants to equip, but he also wants to engage. And that is so important in our life is in the church. So I ask myself this question. How does Paul's life and teaching apply to me today? Okay. What's the application of it to me today? What's the application to you? I believe that the local body of believers needs to have Christ's life's command as their first priority. So I commend you for taking these three Sundays out of the year and making sure that the DNA that is in us is that it's not about us. It's not about just facilities. It's not about just taking care of us here, but it's people beyond these walls. It's beyond the border of that door or those brick in that mortar. It's about beyond the border even of our little city and our county in our state. It's beyond these borders. It's beyond the borders that are in our mind. His last command must be our first priority. That's why people, these flags, why as I look around, I think we have, we have people in every one of these countries. That's why people will say, that's why your sons, your daughters, your moms, your dads, your brothers or sisters, your, uh, your aunts, your uncles, your friends, your colleagues will say, Jesus has touched my life. He's called me and I need to go. And that's why you take faith promises so that you can send them beyond the borders to share the love of the gospel of Christ. And what happens? Well, I can tell you, for instance, the country of Nepal, you know, they just had this earthquake uh, a couple of years ago. In the 1970s and the 1980s, they only had 40 Assemblies of God churches in the whole entire nation of Nepal. It's a Buddhist, uh, Hindu society. But today, there are over 800 churches in Nepal. Because the seed of the gospel was sown. I was in a church just after the earthquake where the church had been devastated. Can, you can imagine... Imagine an earthquake of, uh, you know, an eight point, nine point on the Richter scale hitting right here now. What's going to happen to the ceiling? What's going to happen to these walls? They collapse. Well, they were in church that day and the walls and the ceiling collapsed. They lost 19 members of their congregation. Devastated the church. Pastor's house was gone. Everything was gone. Just crumbled underneath of this. And they were sitting like up on a mountain. So I was there with this pastor, and they had temporary facilities up where they were having church, where, they, where he had a little Quonset hut where he and his family lived. And because in many of these societies overseas, uh, Christians don't have a burial plot. They're not allowed to have burial plot by the government or by the main religion. And so what they did is actually took a piece of the land that they owned and made it a burial plot for those 19 people. Suffering. But at the same time, favor, because they just didn't look at themselves. They looked at the villages around them that had been destroyed. And so they, maybe, I don't know, but congregations like yours sent money to help Nepal and send relief. And pastor is nodding his head. Well, what happened is that we, we put money into different churches like that and worked with Convoy of Hope. And they went into another mountain village. Uh, on the other side where there was no hope and it had crumbled and was destroyed and they went and they helped and they gave water and they gave food and they gave shelter. This congregation that was suffering so much and they shared the gospel. They started a church there. 24 people came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. On another mountain on the other side of them, they did the same thing and 19 people, they started another church, came to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Brothers and sisters, it's not only about us, it's about people that are out there beyond us. And that's what they got in their head. I think about Cuba. You know, Cuba's been in the news because of we're, we're going to open up and now we're not going to open up. And all this time they've been under a dictatorship and it's been very difficult. In 1963, there were 290 churches in Cuba. Okay? Assemblies of God churches. In 1963, in 2017, there are 11,845 churches on the island of Cuba. There are 13,000 churches in the United States. They, on that island, have over 11,000. Now, their churches don't look like our churches. Okay, They don't have a nice facility. They may have an apartment. They may have blown out a wall, or there may be in a garage. Doesn't matter, does it? God is doing something amazing because because his last command is their first priority. And I was there two years ago at their their, uh, general council, they would call it. And what they were doing is they were forming the first world missions department that they've ever had. Now remember, Cubans weren't allowed to have passports. Here they were without even having passports, but in faith saying, Christ's last command is our first priority. And the, and the pastor, the, the, the superintendent, the leader of the whole church movement there, said to me, God has been so good. Now, listen to this. They make $20 a month. That's the average salary in Cuba. He said, God has been so good to us that we're telling our people they need, a, they need to give a dollar a month so we can send out missionaries. And their heart's desire is to send out missionaries around the world. They, went, they opened up a whole new missions department. They went into missionary training. We're helping them. They have trained over 300 people to be missionaries. <laughs> they will send out 12 people next year. Because Christ's last command is our first priority. You see, when we obey God, when we're baptized in the Holy Spirit, there's nothing else you can do but to share the love of Jesus Christ with people. That's where you say amen. Okay, I'll help you. I'll help you. I think, about, I think about Europe. You know, right now there's between 65 and 68 million refugees in the world. I mean, that's bigger than South Africa. That's bigger than France. That's bigger than South Korea. They're refugees. People have no home. People are living in tents. People that don't know where the next, you know, what's going to happen the next day? Many of those have uh, migrated to Europe. I want you to know that your missionaries that you support have been so active and involved beyond their regular ministries. They have gone beyond their regular ministries. And they have been there to welcome them, to encourage them, to strengthen them, to help them with water and food and shelter, to get them to the to, to right officials. And because of these acts of kindness, just because of being a believer in Jesus Christ and loving people, because of taking Christ's last command as their first priority. over And this is is not exaggerated. This is not exaggerated. 20,000 Muslims have come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior in Europe. That we can count. (laughs) Brothers and sisters, in 1900, the global population was 1.8 million people on this planet. In 2016, it's 7.4 billion people. The explosive growth of our population is incredible. In 1900, there were 650 million Muslims and Buddhists and Hindus. Now, there are over 3.2 billion of them. 81% of them have never met a believer like you. They've never met a believer like you. They've never gone to a church like this because there are no churches. They haven't heard it on the radio, they haven't heard it on TV, they haven't had a Bible, they have nothing. They've never heard the name of Jesus. They don't know what it means to have their sins forgiven. How many have asked Jesus to forgive them of their sins one time? Super. Two times. Can we just spare the agony and say multiple times? Sandy and I, my wife and I, and I'm wrapping up. You've heard that before, haven't you? Uh, We're on an airplane coming out of Mexico City. We were 10 seconds into flight. The engine on the right side of the airplane exploded. The cabin filled with smoke. The plane takes a dip. Everything is, people are dead silent in that airplane. There was only one one voice you heard, it was mine. Jesus forgive me of my sins. It was a default, okay? The name of Jesus, think about it in your own personal life. Something tragic happens. What's the first word out of your mouth as a believer? Jesus. You're in a, almost in an automobile accident. It's Jesus. Or, or my, your son is playing football and he gets hurt on the field. You go, Jesus, help us. I mean, we, it's so automatic with us. That was the first thing out of my mouth. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Now it was 6 o'clock in the morning. Who in the world sins before 6 o'clock in the morning? <laughs> But it's, it's a default. Do you know how privileged we are? That every Sunday you can hear the name of Jesus. That every day you can wake up and say, thank you, Jesus, that I awoke today. Thank you, Jesus, that I can do your word today. I can read your word. I can walk. Thank you, Jesus, that I can walk, that I can breathe, that I can see. Thank you, Jesus, that if, even if I can't see, I can love you. And 81% of those 3.2 billion people have never heard. And that's why you have a missions time. So that God can challenge us through his word and through speakers and through your pastor. To say, is that right? Is that fair? Is that, is that how it should be? That we, should, we can say Jesus as a default and, and 3 billion people don't even know the name. And no other name under heaven will be given whereby men can be saved. It's the name of Jesus. So I thank you. I thank you for taking time. I thank you for making faith promises. I thank you for talking to your neighbors. I thank you for sending out my son-in-law and my daughter. I thank you for parents like me, that their kids are gone and their grandkids are overseas. Because you said, we will send the gospel through people. We will make a faith promise. What you do makes a difference in the entire world. The ripples of what you will do touches the world. Man by the name of Hudson Taylor said, I have found that there are three stages in every great work of God. First, it is impossible, then it's difficult, then it's done. Don't get trapped in the impossible. Don't get trapped in the difficult. Get trapped in the fact that God has promised that his word, that every nation, every tongue, every tribe will hear the gospel. And you are a part of that. I challenge you to go beyond borders today. What borders do you need to cross? Is it the border of feeling insecure to talk to a neighbor? I've been there or maybe a friend or a colleague, or is it a border of fear to release your finances? Is it a border to give in a faith promise offering? Is it a border of ideology, political ideology, or whatever, philosophical views? It is a border of a, a neighbor that is scowling at you all the time. Is it a border of somebody with a different color skin or different language? Or different, just plain different? What's restraining you? What is holding you? Is it a border because you've never crossed the border of sin? You've never had a Damascus Road experience? Or maybe you just have had a Damascus home experience where you experienced the calling of God for your life, but you never really acted on it. Cross the border today. Make a step today. Don't just just stay cross those borders whether they're in your uh, in your head or in your heart or whether it's physically and let's release let's release things let's release our children let's release our grandchildren let's release our moms and dads to do the will of god to cross borders lord jesus thank you for this congregation thank you for their history thank you lord for their faith promises in the past and for sending missionaries and for missionaries and missionary associates that come out of this congregation. Thank you for everyone that shares the gospel, Lord. <clears throat> Thank you, I pray your blessings on them, Lord Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, that borders will be crossed today, Lord. Whatever those borders are, whether they seem small or great, God, that those borders would be crossed for your glory and honor. That your last command, would be our first priority. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Amen, amen. Amen. Jesus' last command, becoming our first priority. You know, the world that we live in right now about you it's just as greg was talking about at the end there about borders i don't know why it is sometimes you or i are very timid about crossing some of those borders especially when it comes about sharing our faith or talking to people about jesus well that's not true i think i do know why i think we all know why sometimes because we feel this pressure don't we we kind of live in a world that says, you know, okay, if you've, if you've found something that works for you, you know, that's good. That's great. Glad that you found something that works for you. But, you know, keep it to you. You know, that, that works for you. That's great. But, you know, I don't want to hear about it or don't, you know, don't tell other people about it. Don't tell my kids about it. You know, don't tell any about it. Just kind of keep that to you because that's for you. And, you know, I'll find my thing. And so we, we maybe erect borders because we're afraid of offending someone or afraid of what they're going to say. Imagine with me that someone had discovered a cure to a great disease that we fight. And This month, uh, a lot of uh, cancer awareness this month, right? A lot of, a lot of people bringing awareness to cancer. Imagine if someone, one of those, you know, uh, teaching hospitals down in Boston, one of the doctors finally came out and said, you know, we discovered, I, I discovered the cure to cancer, and it's a pill, and, uh, and you take this pill, and all forms of cancer are gone, and you're cured, and you're healed of it. We would, that man, that person would be hailed as a hero, I mean, imagine that, right? I mean, you, you, you found the cure to cancer, and you, you know, you've done it. We would, you know, set that birth. We'd give him awards. He would be brought up, you know, given presidential medals. And there'd be many families and individuals who would be extremely grateful to him. But then imagine he's on one of those, you know, evening talk shows being interviewed, and he said, "Well, wow, this is incredible. You know, you come up with this, you know, tell us the story, you know, about, about how you tell us your story about how you, you know, what you did, what happened, how you came up with this. And he said, well, actually, you know, I, I was working in my basement and uh, actually figured this out in uh, 1984 that, uh, that, that this would work. And I've been sharing it with kind of my couple of my, you know, family, and it worked with them and friends, and it worked with them. But I, I, you know, I didn't want to, you know, step on anybody's toes. There were a lot of people doing a lot of good work and and they were doing, uh, you know, and they seemed like they were doing good work. I didn't want to come out and seem like a know-it-all or anything like that. And so I just kind of kept it to myself. All of a sudden, you look at that man differently, don't you? All of a sudden, the one that was lauded as a hero suddenly has all the anger of every person that between 1984 and 2017 ever lost a loved one to cancer because you kept it to yourself and brothers and sisters maybe that's us too at times that there would be those that would say to us why are you keeping that to yourself why do you allow the borders to stop you from sharing something because we have something you have something if you are a believer in jesus christ if you've had that damascus road experience you where you have you have given your heart to god then you have something that cures something that's a greater problem than cancer because cancer is a problem but long-term eternal separation from god is an even bigger problem and you and i through jesus christ have the benefit of having that answer given to us, shared with us. You come in here every Sunday and sit in, we sit in comfortable chairs and, and air-conditioned rooms and we hear about this message and we take it in and, and, we, and, we, and we hear it and we experience it and we know it and we think it's all for us, but it's not. We've been blessed to be a blessing. We've been given a message to be messengers. We've been given this hope to export it to the world so that Christ's last command would become our first priority, telling others about Jesus. So I don't know what your border is, but as we close out our service this morning, we take this time to respond and pray. We all have them. We all have them. And maybe yours, maybe you're bold and your border's a little further out than somebody else's, but you've got one. You've got one. And so... I pray, I want to pray, and I want to ask God as we close out our service. God, would you speak to our hearts and let us, and, and, and it be honest with us, and would your Holy Spirit search us and show us those borders that we have within ourselves that we have not been willing to cross to share with someone the hope that there is in Jesus Christ that they have. Because Christ died for them. All he asked us to do is tell someone about it. We did, we, he did the hard work. He's just called us to tell other people about it. You're not responsible for their response. You're not responsible for their decision. You can't make them come to Christ. You don't have to die so that they can have a way to come to Christ. All you and I are called to do is just tell them. Tell them about Jesus. And those that are going, this is what we're talking about here, help them to go. And we're going to talk more about that next week, those that God sends out and have had that Damascus home experience and God said, go to this other country and they need to get out there and we need to help them get there. We'll talk more about that next week. But God has called you to cross borders. And so would you pray with me? Father, Lord, we come before you this morning. Lord, and we recognize that there are places in our lives that have become barrier walls to your message going out from us, Lord. And we confess and we ask forgiveness for whenever a time arose that you have put us in a position, in a place, and with a person with the intent of us sharing your hope of what you've done for them, and something stopped us. Lord, would you forgive us of those times? We confess at times that we have not been very good ambassadors of the gospel. We confess at times that sometimes we get caught up in things that we allow to stop us, our own egos, reputations, political correctness, or the culture of the day get in the way of us sharing Jesus with someone. Lord, if that's ever happened in any of our lives, God forgive us. And Lord, would you search our hearts now as a church? Would you search our hearts and help us to be honest with ourselves? And would your Holy Spirit bring to light any place in our lives that has become a barrier? Because Jesus, when you were walking this earth, you said, Love your enemies. And in those three words, you broke down every single barrier we could ever erect for us not telling someone about you. Because what that means, Lord, is, Lord, to love the greatest love we can have for someone is to tell them about Jesus. And the most difficult person to do that with would be someone who's our enemy. And you said, love your enemies. And so that means them... And everyone in between, we are called to share the love of Jesus with. So, Lord, would you help us to do that? May we be a church that goes through barriers, beyond borders, over, around walls, whatever they might be, to get the gospel. Lord, into those countries that are closed and and are not open to it, Lord, help us to be a part of that. But, Lord, into the house across the street to that person who's in the next cube at work who we go to work with every day. Lord, may we also cross those borders not in our own strength, Lord but in the strength of your Holy Spirit that goes before us in the work and that loves that person more than we ever could and is at work in their life already. Lord, through your Holy Spirit And in your name we ask it, in Christ's name, amen.